InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Workplace diversity programs often get limited results. Yet experts say equality at work is good for business. So what's the solution? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talked to an expert to get the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Iris Bonet. She's a behavioral economist at Harvard University and the author of a book called What Works? Gender Equality by Design. Professor Bonet, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the title of your book and maybe your definition of gender equality these days, because I wonder sometimes if that definition hasn't changed throughout the decades. The title of the book relates to my interest in understanding how we can close gender gaps in economic opportunity, political participation, health, and education. And in fact, what works is almost as crucial as gender equality, because I'm really focusing on measuring which interventions have impact and which ones don't. In the title of the first chapter of your book, you say that unconscious bias is everywhere. What are some examples of that? It turns out that seeing really is believing. And if we don't see, say, male kindergarten teachers or female engineers, for example, we don't naturally associate those jobs with men or women. And that's what we're up against when we talk about unconscious bias. A very powerful example was given by orchestras, in fact. Some of our major orchestras in this country realized in the 70s that they had very few female musicians. In fact, they had about 5 to 8% female musicians. And then they decided to introduce a very interesting design, and that is to have their musicians audition behind the curtain. And so these blind auditions then allowed them to really listen to the music rather than to look at whether somebody looked the part. And that turns out to have played a really important role in increasing the fraction of women on orchestras from about 5 to 8%, as I mentioned, to almost 40% now. I think that's an important example for two reasons. One, it shows how powerful the bias really is in that it affects orchestra directors who were convinced that they, of all people, only cared about the music and not whether somebody looked apart. And secondly, it's an important example because it's a design intervention. It worked not because people's mindsets were changed, but because it made it easier for our biased minds to get things right. Do you think sometimes women play into those gender stereotypes and, I guess, shoot themselves in the foot unintentionally? Absolutely. Stereotypes both are relevant for how we treat and perceive others, but also how we perceive ourselves. So what I said before that seeing is believing completely applies to ourselves as well. Can you give us a few examples of things that maybe businesses can be doing to reduce gender inequality on the job? There's a number of things that organizations could be doing, and it starts with talent management. And maybe the most low-hanging fruit really is how we attract talent. And it starts with the kinds of adjectives that we use in our job descriptions. For example, if a school wants to diversify and increase its fraction of male teachers, and it describes the job as looking for a compassionate, caring teacher working in a supportive, collaborative work environment, then all of the adjectives that I've been using are traditionally associated with women and their gender stereotypically female. I'm not saying that's how it should be or that all men or all women fall into those categories, but that's how our minds work. And research shows that if we use those kinds of adjectives, the school is actually going to be less likely 
to be able to attract men. And so what a school should be doing, in my example here, is use gender-neutral language and, for example, look for an exceptional teacher with pedagogical skills or exceptional pedagogical skills. So it starts with attraction, but then it goes through the whole talent management process. It does include blind evaluations, but goes further. For example, we should kind of do away with unstructured interviews. It turns out that unstructured interviews, a much beloved tool by many of us, is in fact a very bad predictor of future performance. And instead, we should rely on work sample tests. Or if we want to actually do an interview, use a structured format where we predetermine all questions and ask every candidate the same questions in the same order. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Iris Bonet. She's from Harvard University and the author of What Works? Gender Equality by Design. And we're discussing the whole issue of gender bias in the workplace and elsewhere in our society. Professor Bonet, it seems like a lot of managers and probably CEOs don't spend a great amount of energy focusing on gender equality, but you say it's just good business. That's exactly what my book is arguing, that we should level the playing field to make sure we benefit from 100% of the talent pool. And the interventions that I suggest are interventions which really are focusing on getting the talent that we need rather than being biased by whether somebody conforms with the norms, the gender norms or the stereotypes that are associated with a particular job. Yeah, so that's very much what I'm arguing. Do you think our nation's largest corporations have taken gender equality seriously enough? I do think many organizations and an increasing number of organizations actually do care. But I would argue that they haven't used the same kind of scrutiny that they would apply to financial decisions to their people decisions. So overarchingly, I am suggesting to companies that we should use the same kind of tools that we, in fact, use, for example, in our marketing to understand what customers need or want when we deal with our own employees. And that means that we need to measure what works and what doesn't work. For example, I would argue that our organizations spend too much money on diversity trainings and fixing our minds when, in fact, much evidence suggests that our minds, sadly enough, are pretty stubborn beasts and are very difficult to change. And therefore, rather than trying to focus on minds, we should focus on organizational practices and procedures and change those. I would think there are some people, and I would say probably primarily men, who would say, well, you know what, there are so many differences hardwired between men and women, plus all of the deeply ingrained cultural differences, that there probably can never be total gender equality. How do you respond to that? You know, I don't think we know whether there could be ever, you know, complete gender equality, but we certainly have much evidence from other parts of the world including, for example, one very interesting study which went to a matrilineal society, the Kasi in India, showing that what we might perceive as completely hardwired isn't really due to biology, but may actually be due more to how we raise our children and how we structure our schools and how we structure our organizations. So, for example, in the United States, we typically find that women are more averse to taking risk and also dislike, for example, competitions. So they went to the Kasi in India and, in fact, found the reverse 
for the costly men and women, with women being more willing to take risk and women being more competitive. And we see some similar patterns in Nordic countries, in the Scandinavian countries, where we often don't find gender differences, for example, in terms of competitiveness, which we always find in the United States. So I do think we do have to acknowledge that nurture the environment in which we live and act and work plays a huge role in affecting our beliefs and also our behaviors. But of course, you're still right to say that given the environments we live in and given the movies we watch and given the books we read, these beliefs are pretty persistent in the United States. And I think in that sense, we're quite aligned in that I'm saying, let's not just focus on those beliefs. But let's actually change our environments and therefore make it easier for the minds that we've got to get things right. And perhaps this is surprising to many people. You write that sometimes men or boys in school are losers in this whole issue of gender bias as well. Yes. For both girls and boys, it actually matters to have role models in particular encounter stereotypical subjects. So what I mean with that is boys don't naturally associate reading and writing with their own sex. And girls don't naturally associate mathematics and more generally STEM fields with their own sex. So in particular in those subjects, it would be important for boys to have male role models in English classes, for example, and for girls to have female role models in math and STEM subjects. And there is research, actually quite a number of studies, showing that who you see in the classroom does matter and does increase the likelihood that girls take up STEM subjects and that boys take English seriously. And you're right, boys are increasingly falling behind in reading and writing. That's not just an American phenomenon, but a recent study that the OECD published last year shows that this is true across OECD countries. And one of the reasons is that we don't have enough male teachers. Professor Iris Bonet, behavioral economist at Harvard University and the author of What Works? Gender Equality by Design. Dr. Bonet, do you have a website where people can learn more? Absolutely. And when people Google my name, Iris Bonet, my website is just Google my name and you'll find it very easily. I think I'm the only one in the U.S. <laughs> with that name. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks very much for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack. The weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.